Now it's time for the eighth installment of our Take a Number segment, where we pick a random number between 1 and 100 and talk about the man and woman who correspond to those numbers on the ATP and WTA rankings. Last week, we had our highest number ever, which was 23, which we were very excited about. We talked about Marin Cilic and Peng Shui. This week, let's pull up the random number generator and click it, and do 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 Our number is 50. Right down the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hear giggling from the, uh, from the women's side. <laughs> Nothing. I, 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 have a, I almost have a... Courtney, who do, who do we have on the ladies' side there? On the ladies' side, we have Yarka Gaitasova. Yarmila Gaitasova. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. How much time you got? We're, 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 good thing we have some time on this podcast. There's a lot to say mm-hmm. there. And on the women's side, I'm uh, sorry, on the men's side, although he had womanly hair at one point, we have Lukasz Kubo. Okay. The Polish dancer. Yes. People call him that? I don't know. I call him that now. It, that's a thing now. <laughs> Bam. It is a thing. Hi, Polish dancer. Like it or not, Lukasz, that's, that's your name. Let's, should we talk, I almost feel like we should talk about Lukasz first, because there's more, there's less on him. Okay. Lukasz is a uh, better doubles player. He still plays some pretty good singles. He has gotten some decent wins in his career. He almost beat Andy Roddick in uh, Indian Wells. He made it to the quarterfinals, I want to say, of the either fourth a fourth round of the 2010 Australian Open with like a withdrawal or something, and just sort of really snuck through there. And yeah, that's basically him. He uh, he does he does high kicks. Mm-hmm. This this uh, Polish dance. When he wins, so that's so there basically is some basis in this. Okay. Oh yeah, no, you didn't know that. I haven't seen that. I don't think I've never seen him win. Really? I've seen him lose a lot. Oh, it was really. I think he like busted it out for the first time. I want to say last year at the Australian Open when he made his run. Yeah, he he did this thing where he kicks his, his feet up really high and almost like touches his toes to his hands. Mm. It's like it's 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 actually quite a little flexy thing that he does, but that's the main thing that I know about him is that uh, when Lukas Kubal pulls pulls off a big win, which he has done in the past, yep. he does a little high kick dance. He is one of the three Polish men who are good doubles players, and actually, the ATP thumbnail for his bio has his doubles ranking listed first, or more prominently above his flag, even though it's lower for some reason now than his singles ranking. His doubles ranking is only 82. But yeah, so he's one of the three men in the ra- in the race to possibly get to play mixed with Agar Vedvanska at the Olympics, which would be a big prize for any of them. Although mm-hmm. she is not entirely committed to even playing mixed because she thinks she'd much rather play with her sister Ursula, even though they'd have a much worse chance of meddling, honestly, because Kubo, Furstenberg, and Mikowski are all much better players than Ursula relatively when it comes to doubles. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit of her picking her family over maybe her best metal interests, but it's, yeah. it's a tough situation for her, I guess, in that. True, true. And I think that you kind of sold Lukas a little short onto the single side. Okay. I Just looking, scrolling through his results last year. At the Australian Open, he beat Sam Querrey in the first round. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Sam was ranked number 18. Oh. So it was a pretty good win. Yeah. He won in five sets. And then 
he had a great Roland Garros in Wimbledon back to back, made it through qualifying, and then beat Nicholas Almagro. He had to play qualifying after he made it to the fourth round of the Australian Open? Yeah, he was ranked 210. How did that happen? At the Australian Open? No, at the Australian Open, he only made it to the second round. Oh, when did, when did he, oh, maybe two years ago, then he had a good Australian Yeah, 2010, yes, gotcha. yes. Okay. But no. And then in Roland Garros, he made it through qualifying and beat Almagro in the first round in five grueling sets. That's a good one. Yeah. Oddly, he would then eventually lose two rounds later to Alejandro Faya, but what <laughs> can you do? Things happen. Um, things happen. And then at Wimbledon, he made it through qualifying again and beat Clement in the first round, Karlovich in the second round, and Malfis in the third round. That's pretty solid. To make it to play Feliciano Lopez in the fourth and lost to Feliciano Lopez 7-5 in the fifth. Pretty sure he's had some injury problems because with those kind of results, I don't know how you're as low as number 50. Right, yeah. I mean, after after that, he completely kind of tailed off. I mean, here's a guy who lost to Ernest Golbis, you guys. Ernest Golbis in Tokyo. <laughs> so, you know, wasn't always gravy. But, yeah, I mean, he, I, I remember because I, like, know who he is. So I knew that he had to have done something. With so, yeah, so Lucas Laco, you have ooh, had yourself. Ooh, ooh. That's not his name. Try again. Lucas Kubo. <laughs> so, yeah, Lucas Kubo, <laughs> you have had yourself a fine couple of years. And he had a wonderful couple. profile until you forgot his name. I did. I did. And that was that was my bad. But um, I will post um, a, a video of his dancing celebration. Oh, please do. Because people should see it. They really should. It's endearing. I think he, he seems like a nice guy when I've met him. But I think the Red Vonska sweepstakes are pretty interesting because it's so lopsided and she's, you know, playing hard to get and everything. So I will be interested to see. As, as it looks now, it doesn't look like Ursula is going to get in. They let that. Mm-hmm. Because Ursula has been horrible lately. So probably under the pressure of having to, you know, play to get in for this. I think right. that's hang on her. Especially with her sister doing so well now. Yep. We'll see if Lukash is the one who gets handed the rose at the last ceremony. <laughs> he, it would be a, such a, a hilarious doubles team because he is tall. Yeah. They're all, I think all the Czech guys are fairly... Or first in Berg is pretty The tall. Czech guys? I'm no. sorry, you make fun of me for getting, for getting his name? Yeah, I do. I do. I'm no better. The Polish <laughs> guys, sorry, are not short either. Yeah, and I'll get small. It would just be a weird... I wonder how she'd hold up a mix. I've never seen her play mix, actually. So I would love to see her return a guy's serve. Some play, like, Hingis was really good at it. Hingis was a really good mix player. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvanska, I don't know. We'll see. we'll see. We'll see. Only one way to find out. Hopefully that's one of the many storylines unfolding at the mix at the Olympics this year. One that won't get much attention, honestly, compared to the rest of them. From English media, anyway. Are you ready to get to uh, old Lukash's dance partner today? I am. Right. I am. So what? What? what so when you first saw the name Yarmila Gadisova, parentheses Oss, flash mm-hmm. up on your screen there for number fifty. What were you, what were your third, first thoughts? My first thoughts were twit pics, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I just want to give Yarmila Gadisova a hug. That's about <laughs> I right. I feel like things are really rough for her right these days. And uh, why don't you, why don't you explain the, the whole the whole whole Twitter. Everything that is the Yarmila Gaddis of a Twitter presence. It's been, the, it's, the, been, it's been traumatical. <laughs> the Yarmila Gaddis of a Twitter experience. Yarka, which is her nickname, um, was a very 
she was a good tweeter. She tweeted a lot. She was, you know, and last year she did pretty well and had herself a, a good surge in the rankings and, and some good wins. Um, at the time, she two was years ago, mar- two years ago. She made fourth rounds back to back of French Open Wimbledon. Was her big correct? And she was married to Sam Groth, who is an Australian men's player. So yeah, um, that marriage broke up last spring. <laughs> um, last spring, and Yarka kind of took to Twitter to vent her feelings. Um, not realizing that Twitter is very different from like Live Journal mm-hmm. or Tumblr. She would have been a good Tumblrer. <laughs> um, she had a lot of kind of things that she needed to get off her chest about about that relationship breaking up. And then um, right around the same time, her results uh, began to tank quite uh, badly. She, she's had trouble just winning singular matches, and um, you know she's a bit she's a strong girl. She's she's got a really big offensive game. And she just kind of can't find the court these days. She hits the ball as hard um, as anybody. Yeah, she really does. She really does. And so for the reason that I said twit picks were the first thing that came to mind with Yarka is that after she and Sam got a divorce, she started just almost every picture she had that she posted on Twitter was her like in like a dress about to go to the player party or it was, or just standing in front of a court or like whatever, but they were just always pictures of her. They were just pictures, like sort of glamour shoddy pictures of her. A bit. Yeah. And it almost got to the point of being uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, 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 I mean, she's someone, she wears her emotions and her personality and her baggage, I guess, fairly on her sleeve, both on court and off. Mm-hmm. I mean, when she, I saw her get double bageled at Hotman Cup by by Marion Bartoli this year, and it was it was a rough experience for all involved, especially at Hotman Cup, which is a in Australia and in front of a native <laughs> crowd, and some people treated like an EXO, but clearly Marion was not oh, one of those people. <laughs> Marion was, you know, doing her screaming grunt, just pounding away at everything. It was, it was, it was, it was. I shouldn't laugh, but it was it was one of the more uncomfortable matches I've ever been at. It's sort of a just sort of oh, ooh, and she was you know, sort of crying at the end. Oh, Yarka. I mean, I've seen her. She's one of those players that you see a lot. Like when you're kind of just around the tour, like you see her like in media or like in dining or kind of wandering the halls. Or she and her coach have no problem like going to like the food court mm-hmm. and sitting out there. Um, so she's just kind of out and about. So I just kind of feel like I see Yarka all the time. And yeah, it just kind of got to the point, especially last year, especially late in the year, where you just kind of wanted her to be okay. Yeah. Like well, at the, at the US Open was another Twitter thing that happened with her. After she yes. lost in the second round to Vanya King, she got some fairly nasty tweets from people who seemed to be people who had bet on her and lost Australians. Yeah. And that is a lot of. That's a lot of what I think a lot of Twitter rage comes from towards players is people who are gamblers who pick people and then lose and berate them yes. for it. So Yarka had lost and got all these nasty tweets that she retweeted to show that she'd gotten them. And then she said she was Vamos. quitting Twitter. Yeah. And so that was, and everyone, it was a moment for being, oh, you know, oh, there are people too. Don't, you know, tweet at losers. Don't make them feel blah, 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 blah. Yarka yeah. Yar- was back on Twitter within three days, but. Yes. <laughs> but it was still a moment. It was memorable. Yes. But, she, you know, what I do like about Yarka is that even through kind of everything and all the drama and, uh, you know, the tears and all that, um, she's like a 
really kind of nice person. She's a sweet girl. Sweet. She's a sweet girl. She she smiles on court. She kind of laughs things off. She's a, a fun doubles partner for people to have because yeah. she seems to kind of take things, you know, you know, lightly in the way that you, you know, you, you don't want your doubles partner screaming at you all the time. So she seems like a good egg, just complicated. Here's a stat for you. Yarka has played, I don't have the stat in front of me, but she's played the Australian Open six or seven times in singles and it's won zero matches. Oof. Never won a match the Australian Open. You talk. You yeah. think Sam is doing rough, having made the fourth round a couple of times. Yarka can't hasn't won a match there. Can 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 we whip that one out next time at the Australian Open to take a little pressure off Sam? No. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. We'll try. <laughs> you remember, it'll happen. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So that's pretty much it for Yarka. I think. It's, hopefully, she gets her game together because when her game is on, it's really it's awesome. fun. It's really fun. It's just like such ball bashing of of the purest. <laughs> in some ways, yeah, which is it fun. Is. It, it is. It's so. It's so. I like players who do sort of have sort of one gear because it's interesting to see how they make that work or don't. Mm-hmm. She's not hitting me. I did. Hey, I, I I love a good forehand and the big serve. So, uh, so I always really liked watching Yarka play when she was playing well. Um, and when she's not, then it's just you know, bring your goggles and your helmet if you plan to sit courtside. A little splash. And, yeah, exactly, because you, you're going to get hit. There's going to be collateral damage. Pretty much. <laughs> and it's not her fault, because you should have known. No, I also <laughs> saw I saw her lose to Jamie Hampton at um, Indy Wells this year. I, uh, she, yes. I think she had a pretty good first-round win over somebody, and then lost to Jamie Hampton. I forget who. She beat some seed, which I was surprised by. Uh, don't remember which one. She did. I'm looking it up right now. She beat Yanina, well, Yanina Wickmeyer. Okay, solid win, because... Wickmeyer had been a semifinals last year there. Yeah. And Wickmeyer went on to beat Kleister's the next week. So, mm-hmm. looks pretty solid for most accounts. But yeah, but Yarka also doesn't have a sponsor anymore, which is sort of sad. She's wearing a plain black dress after being in Lacoste for a long time. Aww. So. Lacoste, Lacoste clearly does not have that uh, Team Australia. So, I guess now Lacoste no longer has that kind of blanket deal with Team Australia that they seem to have. Yeah. For a while, which which is odd because they're still a, a, a major sponsor of the Australian Open, which is kind of how that whole Tennis Australia thing had seemed to kind of come about. Because they had they, Stoser, they, they had Stoser, Yarka. they had Yarka. They still have Ebden. Mm-hmm. Oh no, now Ebden is Fila. Oh, so they lost him too. Mm-hmm. It's sort of so there must have been something that happened within the last, you know, because Stoser's just signed on to Asics this year as well. So they changed. They changed. Clearly. They changed all their Aussie dollars to US once to pay John Isner. <laughs> very true very true yeah. hey the americans i guess get you more exposure in france than the aussies do that's true when they're playing so. davis cup mm-hmm. all right so that was number 50 pretty eventful number for us middle of the pack number so we can't really complain about it exactly yarka gaitasova and lukash kubo may they be bumped to great success good luck yarka we still have to prove the WTA bumpage. Yeah, I feel like even our ATP bumpage just kind of trailed off. We're not really talking about it. but We're slumping a little bit. We started off so strong, and this slump. is like that weird, you know, part of the season where it gets a little dicey. A bit of thing. We are a little bit. But we're expecting big things from Clay. <laughs> so now we're going to start taking questions that get submitted to us by you, the listener. And we love questions, so... We especially like them, especially for weeks like this, where 
there isn't a whole lot of tennis going on, so we can actually delve into our our own mailbag and uh, and uh, respond to some of your questions. So I'm gonna ignore that, um, Casablanca, but we can move on. Sorry, Casablanca, but I'm just keeping it real. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so uh, we we take questions via Twitter. You can tweet us at um, ncr underscore tennis. Uh, or uh, we also take questions via our Tumblr page. So this question was uh, submitted um, onto our Tumblr, which is about doubles. Doubles love it. Uh, so the question is, um, I'm a big doubles fan and often frustrated by the lack of streaming of doubles matches. Besides good tennis, there's the added drama of partnerships forming, breaking up, and making up again. Already in the last couple of weeks, there have been a lot of great matches played going by the scoreboard, but none of them were televised. ATP, WTA tournaments have this amazing product at their disposable, disposal. Why don't they try and exploit it more? A little investment could generate a good fan market, in my opinion. So doubles. Why Why does doubles get slighted, Ben? What, what, what this questioner is mostly talking about is doubles on TV, double streaming. And doubles, I just don't think, translates as well on, uh, you know, on camera, not in person, as it does in person. First of all, and when we talk about the drama of the breaking up and splitting up and so on, that's almost all off-screen drama. People rarely dump doubles partners mid-match, which would be dramatic if it happened. <laughs> that, oh, that would be that is an amazing development. That would be cool. That would be cool. I like that. But as of now, it doesn't happen. And so most of what doubles is is not people really having meltdowns, which is what makes tennis dramatical. A lot of times, I've said dramatical like three times in this podcast already. It's your word of the week. It's sort of. I hope it's a real word. Maybe not. I'm just I'm just serenaing on HSN. If you keep talking into a microphone long enough, you have to you run out of real words and start making up other ones. But yeah, the the histrionic, the sort of human drama of doubles is not the same as the sort of individual torture that can be singles. And so I don't think it translates as well there. I think at tournaments it all it gets pretty good tennis almost always. Um, if well, it, you if were it, at the, in Charleston. Any sort of, in Charleston, you're saying. Yeah, well, yeah. you were at that one weird match in Charleston that was, like, yeah, packed out. It was completely filled to the set on one of their bigger courts at Charleston. Uh, Grandin Ularova versus Klepach Rasolska was complete, which we actually talked about at the beginning of the last episode, I think, that it was full. Mm-hmm. And it was just weird how that happens. And Indian Wells, I mean, people who play tennis, especially older people who play tennis, or pretty much almost anybody who plays tennis in the games for a league set up is going to play more doubles than singles. So, like, watching doubles, I think it's more interesting. It does have sort of appeal to it live. You don't get to see it on TV. But I think that's sort of how it has to stay. I don't, I can't remember ever really being engrossed by a doubles match on TV. I've seen a few. Unless it's, like, a Davis Cup situation. So, I don't think that it's really, I understand the frustration. We talked about the frustration before with not having more things streamed. But basically, there is a profit to be made there. And I don't know what sort of profit they're going to make from more screening doubles unfortunately so as it is now yeah. if you want to watch doubles you kind of got to go to a tournament and get a ticket yeah i mean i think that I, I mean i agree with you i don't think that it uh the bottom line is that the problem with doubles right now and, and probably you know as it's been for a while now is that it just doesn't have mass appeal yeah. um and in order to be i mean the kind of definition of, of be, something being marketable is that it has mass appeal that's just kind of how it works. So, you know, I, I, you know, once you mention it, Ben, I think you're, I mean, it's definitely true in my situation. I don't think I've ever really been engrossed by a doubles match on television. I've loved them watching them in person, but just on TV, you don't really, I don't know. It just doesn't work. I actually can think, I can think of one now that I think back to it. 
It was mm. a quarter. I want to say it was a quarterfinal match at the U.S. Open a few years ago, where uh, Abigail Spears and uh, Raquel Cops Jones and made the uh, quarterfinals of the U.S. Open as complete unknowns back then, and they were playing and they won a set off of like Medina Garriga's Juana Pascal, and it was like dramatic, and they wound up choking and losing and. That was dramatic, but that's it in the past five years. And even that took yeah. a while to remember. So, I mean, it just doesn't and have even... the same sort of... It's not the same storylines. It's not the same things that makes te- tennis what it is. The sort of one-on-one, head-to-head brutality of that. It's just different. And even just personalities. I mean, like, the, the, you know, what makes singles tennis so interesting is it is the personalities and how um, getting to know those individuals and watching them in that super pressure-packed situation, how they react yeah. and... All that and and doubles dilutes that absolutely you know it, you know even just uh i think i was talking to maybe liesel huber at, at indian wells and i kind of asked her you know if you had to sell your team of you and lisa raymond like to casual fans or even hardcore fans like how would you sell your team mm-hmm. and i don't i don't blame actually liesel for this i i just didn't think that the answer was particularly compelling be just because i don't know how compelling you can make a team of two people. What was what was her answer? Well, it, it was basically like, like we we do we're gonna fight until the end. We do everything really really well. We don't always win, but you know that we're always gonna give our hundred percent. Okay, yeah, that's not especially. <laughs> that's not particularly gripping. No. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it's also the I mean the breakups of the teams actually makes it hurts it because you can't really build a brand that's why or I think the only real brand of in, in doubles tennis is the, the Bryans yeah. yeah so who were once you know one zygote so mm-hmm. I think that's sort of what you need to be a thing you need to be some sort of weird maybe the Woodies had that to a degree back when mm-hmm. they were Woodying in the 90s um, or Serena and Venus at the yeah, slams right. when they were like sort of related yeah, yeah. The Woodies weren't related. but it's like what 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 makes a story or a team or a player compelling and and we saw this you know with with Bubba Watson winning the masters what what makes it compelling is that there is a narrative yeah. there is a story Indo-Pat. there's a through Indo-Pat story Indopack that was right, that was but, double's team that got attention because right but that good. exactly and that hook even if it's unrelated to tennis in the way that the Indopack kind of was that was a very political thing and it made it them interesting to talk about but that hook is what put people in seats and then they watched the tennis but very with doubles it kind of just doesn't happen the other way around too often yeah it's true because what's with all due respect to how good Leander pays and Roddick Stepanek are what's compelling about that I uh, I don't really know where to go with that yeah no absolutely you know you will see fun points You'll see crazy angles. You'll see weird rallies and you know, stuff happens. But mm-hmm. it's sort of like watching NASCAR to hope a crash happens in some ways. It's not, <laughs> it's not always the main event. That's probably a mean analogy. But but yeah, I just don't think it translates on TV. I think it's cool live. I would you know when I'm off the clock. I don't you don't. It, that was also harder to write about from our perspective because it's not that sort yes. of. We're spoiled in tennis with how easy relatively. Maybe we don't make it seem like it's easy when we do it but how relatively easy it is to write about tennis compared to mm-hmm. like to write about hockey too and having to write about a whole team and having to like pick one person and say like, Oh, this actually was important. This is why they won. This person's why they won. This person's why they lost. It's much more of a crapshoot than 
tennis where you can say, oh, you know, Yarka Gatisova lost because she wasn't as good as the other person. And you can say that with complete certainty. <laughs> Whereas otherwise it's unfair. And doubles, same thing. I always never really liked doubles when I was growing up first because I didn't like having to like, feel like I could blame someone else for losing. I liked having full responsibility for winning or losing. Yeah, I mean, I think that at the same time, what you, what you say is what makes it easy is what I think is what makes writing about tennis difficult. At least, I think you and I have talked about this before, where it's like, what the problem with tennis is that you get stuck because there is a winner, there is a loser, there are the stats that pretty much tell the story, and there is, within almost every tennis match, there is kind of a dominant read mm-hmm. of what happened in that match. So then the challenge is that, like, you can't just, like, the skill isn't in identifying the read. That's true. <laughs> you know, right? The skill is in how you present it, which then, it, I don't know, it becomes even more stressful because you're like, oh, everybody's everybody's working with the exact same file, right? They're the exact same facts or like whatever. And then you have to figure out an interesting way to do it. I mean, that's what makes it fun. But but I've also found that that's where I get like tons of writer's block personally. Happens. Yeah, I wasn't, happens. I wasn't saying it was easy. I'm just saying it's sort of, it's purer, I think. Mm-hmm. There we go. <laughs> anyway, that's doubles for us. We think we like doubles in person. Don't think it works on TV. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Ready for our next question? We have one more question, don't we, Courtney? We do. We do. Uh, we have another question, and I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase it. Um, but it basically concerns endorsements and endorsement deals of athletes. And it coincides a little bit because I, uh, John Wertheim of Sports Illustrated um, in his mail, let off his mailbag today, Wednesday, with um, a question regarding Maria Sharapova's marketability. And kind of the, the bringing it all together, is the upshot of this question is kind of like when it comes to the saleability of players, like why isn't it kind of tied in as much into how well the player does Mm -hmm. in other words marketability issues um you know and this is this goes towards the question that was posed to john in his in his uh mailbag which was you know maria sharapova is the most marketable female athlete and yet like we've seen her get her ass handed to her in three straight finals um she's not even the best player in our sport um she hasn't won a slam in like forever you know there's a disconnect there and they're they're that's like an injustice in some way. Okay. Um, so, so opening it up to you, Ben, what are your thoughts generally on, on kind of marketability of, of players and whether or not it's, it's fair, who's marketable, who's not, et cetera, et cetera. I think, I mean, in sort of life, it's an always fair things. It's not always fair in that sense, because obviously some players are going to be gifted with better looks than others. Um, with charisma. I mean, you can say that's a, you know, natural gift or worked on or something. People aren't going to always be equal in their earning capabilities from those extracurriculars. They don't have to do with how well they play tennis. Uh, Sharapova, great example of someone whose tennis has always been really good, but her markability has also been really solid as well. Kornikova is a stereotypical, you know, punching bag in this situation, even though her tennis is, you know, really probably pretty underrated. She was number eight in the world and you know, made Grand Slam semifinal and so on, won two doubles Grand Slams, but still her results did not match up with her. Her earnings did not match up with her results when people like Conchita Martinez were probably ranked ahead of her whole career and never were getting any endorsements. So, I mean, it's not fair in that sense, but you can't hate the player. You just sort of have to hate the game of that's how Madison Avenue works in some ways. 
And Madison Avenue is responding to what the people are doing. I mean, yeah. uh, while well, Madison Avenue has some control, obviously, on kind of, you know, who they put out there and what messages they send out there, the bottom line is that people are buying. So, if, you if, know, if, tag, if tag Hoyer thought they'd sell more watches with Azarenka, they would get Azarenka. Right. They dropped Sharapova in a heartbeat. If if they thought that they could get more, you know, marketing uh, traction with Azarenka over Ivanovich, Rolex would drop Ivanovich in a heartbeat, too. I mean, it's, you know, and that's not to say that Azarenka won't get a Rolex deal. It seems like Rolex always signs on every single, like, Grand Slam winner. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that that deal has to be or should be in the works somewhere. But um you know, they're there. This is why tennis is this is why tennis players are some of the most marketable athletes in the world. It's because of this individual nature and, and because like the crap you do on the court and what you do off the court all affects the mark your marketability. Yeah. Like it, it's not just about how many Super Bowls you win or, you know, um, how many yards you throw or whether or not you're Hall of Fame worthy or, you know, how many shutouts you you threw this year, or whether you're a Cy Young Award winner. Like in tennis, it's like who you are as a person on kind of a holistic level that really makes it even more complicated. And that's why I think Federer has done so well, because the way you can package Federer is this, you know, elegant, godlike dancer on the court, elegant on and off. Um, I think is much more packageable for the kind of companies that tennis players get, you know, like your Godiva, your uh, no, Godiva, not, not Godiva, sorry, Lint, whatever. Oh sorry, my, no. yeah. how does that not get ingrained in your mind? Sorry, Lint. They did actually have a lot of Lint uh, chocolate balls in the Miami media room. Yes, they do. Do you know the whole story about that? Just a just a total aside. Please tell me an aside. Do you understand, because Lint is actually one of the sponsors yeah. of Miami. How hot was it in Miami, Ben? Very. Okay. Imagine how much how much um, human capital had to be spent lugging around ice from wherever there was lint chocolate to make sure <laughs> that there was that that it didn't melt. A lot. So like it was like my understanding is that they just had runners running around and you know if you were standing there near somebody you'd hear them on the walkie-talkies being like we need another four pounds of ice in the lint tent we need you know eight pounds of lint over here but make sure you bring ice like it's crazy anyway total aside but i found that fascinating yeah Yeah. but yes lint mercedes those are all so fed net jets yeah so that fits in with his thing Djokovic, however doesn't have any of those deals i don't think i don't know what Djokovic's main off-court deals are you're you're better at this stuff than i am other than Takini, he's got a watch deal with um audemar piget okay but he doesn't have the same personality was what i'm saying he's the he's oh. the hotter ticket right now but he doesn't have the personality that lines him up with these deals that federer has no one wants to be novak i mean i'm not saying no one but i'm talking about it in like if i were in a madison avenue you know um boardroom yeah no one wants to be novak people i mean guys want to be federer i mean at least the guys that we want to buy our product want to be federer they want to be that that country club guy who looks like an eye banker and then like destroys people on a tennis court like and doesn't even look like he's sweating like you know like i don't think he is sweating i don't think that's an optical illusion i don't think that we have evidence of him or sweating ever i've never touched him so no there we go until, until, you... Courtney, until Courtney has touched Roger Federer to prove that he sweats, he has not ever sweated. Has he sweated. ever changed shirts during matches? I don't think he does. Yeah, he does. Really? 
Yes. Oh. He does sweat. He totally sweats. Okay. But like, um, he just doesn't look like it. He just doesn't His have hair that. Doesn't, way it doesn't sweat. His hair doesn't get wet. It's the main thing. No, it does not. Nary a strand out of place. Exactly. You get, but you like, get an Aquanet sponsorship is what you should get. Do you know what Aquanet does? It's like a hairspray, right? Yeah, his hair doesn't look like it's hairsprayed. Okay, fine. It's, it, I mean, that's what makes it so genius. It just looks look, like... It moves. It, just, it does move a little bit. It moves. It swishes. It's just remarkable. I feel like his hair is like... People want to talk about his footwork. His hair, his hair is a piece of yeah, art. When I saw him live, because we talked about... I don't know if we talked about this before on air. At uh, Cincinnati Tournament, they have the, the media sit in the photo pit, mm-hmm. which almost always goes well for people. Not always. Um, <laughs> Not always. And one time uh, I was watching Federer and I was mesmerized by his hair. Like as he was running around and his hair like sort of softly bounces or doesn't move at all as he's, you know. It's incredible. It's amazing. It is. It is fascinating. I find his hair. Uh, Remember when you said the ponytail? That wasn't a good look. Whoever came up with this hair. Yeah. No, the day that he that he realized, A, he needs to shave every day. AKA the day he got his Gillette sponsorship. B, he finally realized the ponytail was out and it's no longer cool to look like Bono. So it's time to cut your hair. And the day that Mirka convinced him that he needed to like exfoliate on a daily basis, his face, that man just, and that he should wear suits. Mm. He, he became the Clooney of tennis. It was impressive. It's high praise. It's high praise. Clooney. Yeah, I mean, he has that effortless elegance, you know, if, if that's what you're into. Okay. It works. But yes, oh. marketability. I mean, so, so that's that's what's so interesting and why I find, like, marketability and endorsements to be, like, a really interesting thing. Because, like, you have Fed, who obviously appeals to the elegant side of tennis. You have Rafa, that kind of appeals to the jockey side of tennis. And then you Rafa have doesn't, Rafa other... doesn't have any of the same sort of American commercial presence that Federer has. No, and I think that's a huge failure on on his on his brand's part. Mm-hmm. Like Federer and, and Tony Godsick and, and and those guys at uh, at IMG have really handled him well in terms of his global branding. And Rafa's has just never been able to to make the same imprint in a lot of the you know the major markets. Yeah, he should be huge in the states. He's so a jock that Americans would love. Like, the way he plays. The way he plays, yeah. But in terms of just sitting there holding a watch, I don't know, it doesn't seem like his element. No. Agreed. He always looks a little awkward. I feel bad for him. Yeah, he he seems like he'd rather just, you know... He's not in it for the... uh... No. Although he has done his fair number of Shakira slash Bar Raphael issues. So he does have... He does take perks where he can. True, true. Most importantly, he's done those like AX Armani, the Armani ads, which are actually at least for a brand. But like his Bar Raffelli and, and Shakira stuff was just kind of like, that's just about me being Rafa in your face. <laughs> um, but yeah, but as I was saying, like, so you have those two guys and you have all the and then you have everybody else. And, you know, now you have a guy, Djokovic, Djokovic who's who's, you know, should on paper be just as remarkable as the other two in terms of his, he's got more charisma than the other two combined, honestly, in my opinion. Um, he speaks as good at English, if not better. Miles um, better than at all. Comparable yeah, Miles better than at all. Comparable to Federer, right. So, um, but, you know, Federer and Nadal kind of have that first mover advantage of kind of taking over that space before him. And he's kind of the odd man out. And you can see that with, with his lack of kind of endorsement deals and, 
Um, I'm sure he has stuff like endorsement deals in Serbia and stuff like that. But internationally, you know, when do you ever see his face? Not much. Yeah, and, and, and then that, Andy that, Murray is that just movie, Right. Um, speaking of Andy Murray, I was just going to ask you, um, Andy Murray, let's say Andy Murray wins Wimbledon this year. Does he immediately mm-hmm. jump to number one on this presence list? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think the UK is a, 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 alone is enough to get him to well, get him there. Well, look at what. Well, let's say one of the biggest ones in the world. Obviously, it's a bigger sport and it's a bigger deal. Guy with more charisma is uh, David Beckham, who's doing Burger King commercials now, which is ridiculous. Yeah, could Murray yeah. ever like that? Obviously, Murray's personality oh. is not nearly as smoldering. Or whatever you want. Yes. So. Yeah, you're being very kind in the way that you're trying to delicately make the statement. But no, I mean Andy Murray is not as good looking as David Beckham. Uh-huh. He is not a sex sex symbol the way that Beckham was, and he's also not a pop culture icon the way that Beckham was. Now, how much of that is related to the fact that you know Beckham's stature in his sport um, at the time that he became a thing was definitely greater than probably any Murray stature within his sport. Soccer is king. Soccer is God as, as opposed to tennis. So, you know, the, the, the comparisons don't work at all. But um, yeah, I, 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 endorsement wise, I just don't see it. Even if he wins Wimbledon, I just really don't know what really changes. That's, that's fair. Okay, new, ran, new random question. Remember how we talked about Wayne Desnick having his commercial? Mm-hmm. You can pick any player in the top 100, man or woman, to sort, sort of just randomly show up and start doing TV commercials for tennis products. Who would you pick? I would pick... What's my... For my own personal entertainment? Yeah, or for your own personal entertainment. What? For who you want to see on TV. Who you think would just like do a good job in that role. <laughs> I'm just going to go Lena. Lena, good pick. Explain. <laughs> I just find her amusing. And, like, actually, there was this great commercial that she did right around Chinese New Year or the New Year um, with her husband. And I'm almost positive it was, like, a commercial for milk. Okay. But it was actually really sweet. Like, it's in Chinese, so I can't understand anything. But I think it was subtitled. But she's kind of talking to her husband. And it, I don't know. It was just, like, actually, it was the softer side of Lee Na. Like, Aww. we just imagine that she's always, like, screaming at her husband and making him sleep in bathtubs and stuff. <laughs> but this commercial kind of dispelled that notion. And I found that to be quite interesting and made her a more complex person in my mind. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to go nails. I would pick uh, Andre Pekovic. Yeah, I was going to go that way out. And I was like, mm. Maybe too easy. but, yeah, good pick. Good pick. Yeah. Let's see. Anybody else? About a guy who could do it. Um, I would be fascinated to see what Bernard Talmadge would do on TV. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I would yeah. love, like, I would love to see when Ryan Harrison endorses products because he's so serious, he's so intense, yeah, and so intense that like I I I am just amusing myself imagining him trying to like sell something. Ooh, Golbus. I will watch Golbus try to sell something. Not that he would ever need to. True. Let's see what he would do. Well, that's fair. I think he could be convincing in his own way. It's fair. Davidenko. I would watch Davidenko do a commercial. <laughs> Classic. How long do you think it's going to be until Isner has a Sports Center commercial? What does he have to do to get that? He has to... Does he have to win a slam, or can he do something he lesser than? Mm-hmm. It's when a slam. Roddick has commercials for Sports Center, I think. He did or does. Sharapova does. Williams sisters do. Marty Fish doesn't. True. Never has. Um Blake, maybe. I don't I don't remember Blake having one. 
that's the threshold, pretty much. It's what you gotta do. Okay. Need winners. America loves winners. America loves winners. Who doesn't love winners? I, really I don't like winners. It's just a personal thing. It's part of my emo nature. Mm-hmm. We like we we like our tennis players to be, you know, sad and struggling and and twi- picking the whole fighting thing. To, yeah, fighting to keep it all together. So yeah. I think we can keep this together right now and put a bow on it. Sounds good. Thank you for joining us for episode eight. Uh, we will be back with episode nine. will be our next episode, those of you keeping track. Uh, spoiler, sorry. And yeah, hope you enjoyed this. Thanks for listening. And keep your questions coming. And we'll see you soon. Later. <laughs>